All right, hey, welcome to the Zoe Church Podcast. Zoe is a church about Jesus, for Jesus, and all we do is preach Jesus. We're so thankful that you could tune in, and we want to say thank you to everyone who subscribes, everyone who's dropped a review. We're excited because this Pentecost Sunday, we're tuning into a message called A Life Worth Dying For out of John chapter 11. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and a life. Okay, John chapter 11, we're going to jump into uh, verse chapter or verse 25 here in just a moment. But let me give you just a little bit of context, okay? Uh, we find Jesus and, and his friends, his disciples, and they're, they're meeting together in a room, and all of a sudden, they get you know, someone running t- into the room urgently, and they, they tell Jesus, Jesus, your, your close friend, some theologians would say that this person was Jesus' best friend, your best friend Lazarus is sick and in need of a cure. And so all of his, you know, all of Jesus' friends and disciples are like, yo, we got to go to Bethany. That's where he is. We got to go to Bethany, to that, that little suburb in Jerusalem. And we got, we got to rescue, we have to save Lazarus. And Jesus, not being in a hurry, not being in a rush, not being frantic or full of anxiety, he waits two full days before he goes to meet Lazarus. And can I just encourage you, no matter how frantic we are about our problems, God's not scared. He's not afraid or intimidated or anxious. Nothing surprises him. Nothing that you can encounter or experience does God look at and go, I'm going to leave you alone for this one. Like God's not, he's not afraid. He's not surprised. He's not taken off guard. And so Jesus, he, he waits two days to go to Bethany and, oh, someone recording for TikTok or something. You know, I'm just kidding. Please don't. Um. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, they hear about this and they wait two days and then Jesus and his, and his disciples make their way to Bethany. And while they're walking, Lazarus's sister stops. She intercepts Jesus before he gets to Bethany. And she tells him, Lazarus isn't sick anymore. Lazarus died. She begins to grill Jesus. Jesus, if you were here, he could, have, he could still be alive today. If you would have just, if you would have gotten here a little bit sooner, Jesus, you could have healed him but now he's dead. And the Bible goes on and it continues a little bit after this. And it says that Jesus begins to weep because even though he can bring someone back from the dead, it doesn't mean that he doesn't still care about what we feel and what we experience. And so uh, Martha is grilling Jesus. How, how come you didn't show up? And this is Jesus's response out of John chapter, chapter 11, verse 25. It says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then it's Jesus' turn to ask a question. She asked, or he asked Martha, do you believe this? And uh, Martha would go on to say, yeah, of course I believe this, that if we believe in you, then when I, when, like I die, die, like when I really die, then I'll have an afterlife. But Jesus wasn't talking about some distant afterlife Jesus was talking, spoiler alert, Lazarus comes back from the dead. Jesus was talking about just a few days later that he would perform a miracle of resurrecting her brother. Then it goes on and we find Jesus in, chapter, in verse 38. Jesus is now standing in front of Lazarus' tomb. And Jesus is there and Martha's there. And it says, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there for four days. 
Then Jesus said, did I tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I love verse 42. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Can I just say this before we continue? That you don't have to have like super eloquent prayers in order for God to hear you. Like for some reason, when I first gave my life to Jesus, I felt like I had to pray with an accent. Like I'd just be holier, like God would hear me better. You don't have to recite certain verses or come up with some conjure, some prayer, or some spell for God to show up. God hears your thoughts. So when the Bible says that we, can, that we should pray without ceasing, do you know how weird it would be to walk around Ralph's praying out loud without ceasing? Like, uh, I'm, I'm promised it would clear out pretty quick, but it would be very strange. God actually hears your thoughts. Even the darkest thoughts, you don't want anyone to hear. God can not just hear them, but he can do something about them. Amen? But what a flex from Jesus. And then he goes on, verse 40, 43. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave cloths and let him go. Amen? If you're taking down notes today, and you don't have to do it in a journal, you actually all have phones, so... Uh, you should take notes, and you can write down the title, A Life Worth Dying For. A Life Worth Dying For. And um, this week, we're, we're in between series where we just got done with the series, and maybe you've never been to church before or never been to Zoe. Usually, we preach in a series, so we'll take a verse or a theme or a topic, and we'll take weeks or months, and we'll dive into that topic. Right now, we're in between, and so Pastor Chad said, I can preach about whatever I want. And it's a major liability, I'm just telling you. Uh, who knows what's going to happen uh, this service. But I, I was really excited to preach today because if we can capture this phrase, Jesus said it so good. He's the resurrection and the life. And we, we have a life worth dying for. I want to encourage you today. Maybe you felt like you don't have value, you don't have worth. Jesus looked at your life and he determined, the God of the universe determined that you are worth dying for. And all the babies said, amen. amen. Like you're, you're worth dying for. God looked at you. Look, if, if we cleared out everyone in the room and everyone on earth and it was just you, Jesus would still go to the cross and suffer a death just for you. You are worth dying for in on the other side of the coin, Jesus offers you a life that's worth giving up our life for. I want to preach a message today, a life worth dying for. I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you that this morning you have a word that's in season. We thank you that you're constantly speaking to us. You're constantly telling us of your love and your mercy. God, we ask that this morning that we would know your love and your mercy in Jesus' name. And everybody said together. Amen and amen. Now, growing up, uh, my mom used to use this phrase all the time. That's to die for. And I love my mom. Shout out to Karen. That's my mom's name. It's unfortunate in her older age. <laughs> like, I promise she's the exception, okay? She's very kind, generous. Everywhere she goes, people are laughing or yelling. And she loves to talk to the manager. <laughs> like, the burger's going to go back if the onions aren't right. You know what I'm saying? 
but I love my mom. And growing up with my mom, it was always an adventure. And she had a she has a flair for the dramatic. Shout out to my mom if she's watching online. I love you. Um, okay. But I remember she would say this about everything. Like you know, we'd go to Ivers and she'd get clam chowder, crush up like fourteen saltine crackers, and she'd be like, "That's to die for." Like we'd go to Target and there'd be a pillow, and she'd like fluff it up, and she'd be like, "This pillow would be to." die for. Like this is just a phrase that she would use all the time. And I'm convinced no one is um, more willing to die for something than my children when I put them to bed. In about the exact second I sit down for the first time, they need a glass of water. Like they'll die for this glass of water. And it starts low. Mom. It's like we hear them. We, we hear them the whole way, but I'm like, maybe this time they'll fall asleep. Mom, 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 I'm going to die if I don't get water. And then it gets crazy. I'm going to kill my brother if I don't get water. And you're like, what's happening? It's like you bring him in a glass of water and it's not the right temperature or the glass is too full. You eventually, you know, bring in the exact, okay, I have the volumes and you had to use a little, you know, squeezer thing and it's perfect. And they take like one sip, like a, and it's like, are you, are you for real right now? But isn't it crazy what people will die for to have a sense of living? Even if it's just for a second. Isn't it crazy what you and I will give up our values for, for one moment of satisfaction? Isn't it crazy the relationships you and I will let fall apart for one night of feeling alive in our marriage again? It's just true. I think I'm, I'm convinced most of us have the tendency to live with the temporary as our priority and not the eternal. Like um, this life, I, I don't know when I'm going to get the next hit in life, and so I, I'm, I might as well just live for the moment. This is the life I live. You only live once. But that's not the truth. Lazarus didn't only live once. He got a new lease on life. And Jesus offers that same life to you and I. See, Jesus said, I'm going to offer you something that you can never earn. It's called salvation. That you could have everlasting life. You could spend eternity in heaven with me. But the problem is most of us, most of us think that that's tomorrow or, or some other time. We think that heaven is out on the horizon, and eventually when we die, we'll go there. But Jesus makes things much more immediate. He says, you should pray like this, on earth as it is in. In other words, Jesus extends this idea that we don't have to wait to go to heaven. We can actually bring heaven to earth. That we can actually live a life in a heavenly way, we can live a life in such a righteous way, in such a godly way, that it's like heaven on earth. Now, I think some of us, like we don't want to live, um, we don't want to live for God because we don't want to give up living for ourselves. Because the life that's been presented us by Christians does not look attractive. Got like really quiet. Right? I don't know if you have any friends like, like me or, or you've been this person um, before. Unfortunately, I think all of us, we face this because all of us fall short. But is there anything more unattractive than a hypocritical Christian? 
says one thing and does another. Who says to forgive yet doesn't forgive. Who says to be kind yet they're a bully. Who says to be generous but only hoards things for themselves. There's nothing more, more unattractive than a hypocritical Christian. But the problem is you and I are hypocritical Christians all the time. We choose ourselves over God all the time. We choose this life instead of the life that God offers us all the time. And I'm convinced it's for one reason. I'm convinced that we are more concerned about what happens temporarily instead of what's going to happen for eternity because we don't know what eternity is going to look like. We think heaven is going to be a bunch of people singing worship songs, maybe some like naked baby angels up there with some harps and some clouds. And it's like, I don't like to worship now. Why would I want to worship for eternity? I'm here to convince you that's not a clear picture of heaven. That's not a clear picture of eternity. Did you know that God has created you to worship in a way that's specific just for you? And if you live your life worshiping God in the way he's designed you to, you're going to have more fulfillment, more satisfaction, more excitement, more risk, more adventure. All of a sudden this Christianity looks like something I want to be a part of. Because it's not religion. It's not just doing the right things. It's living a life for God. And when you do, he offers you a life worth dying for. And uh, in my past, I remember like mourning my old life. Man, those days were so good. I used to stay up late, get a half-off happy hour apps. It was awesome. Man, my old life. I mean, I'm a Christian now, don't worry, but my old life. Like, it's like we're mourning. It's like we're, we're lifting up our old, our, 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 our dead life on a pedestal. But if we knew the life that Jesus offers us today, we'd be so quick to discard our old ways. We'll be running into celebrating the life that God has for us. In fact, I remember when I first said yes to Jesus and I started following God, uh, I remember people kept on saying, wow, you're born again. And I was like, sorry, what? I didn't know the lingo yet. Like I didn't grow up in church. I was like, born again. Like I don't want anything to do with being born again. I love Karen. She's my mom. She's awesome. I don't want to, I'm good. But what they're talking about is that I have a brand new life. And this is why you should get baptized today. And if you haven't been baptized, like really baptism is just a symbol. It's just symbolic of, a, of being born again, right? Like you're standing, in the, you're standing in the water, you're kneeling, I don't know, whatever your height is. You're in the water. And when you go down into the water, in, in, the, in the water breaks, see what I did there, the, it's like birth. The water breaks, there's, it, it's a symbol that life is on the way. That there's a brand new life on the way. When you go down into the water, the water breaks. And when you come up out of the water, you're born again. you got a new lease on life. All of a sudden, life becomes brand new. You're born again. I, I want to give you three things to die to today and three things to live in. And I've, I'm convinced Jesus didn't just free us from our sin. He freed us to live the best life that he has for us. Amen. Okay, number one, write it down. If you're taking notes, type it in. Die to pointless earning and living grace. Die to pointless earning and living grace. And uh, I think this is just me, just not, not you guys, just me. But pretty much every day I go through my day comparing myself to the people around me and whether, I'm not, whether or not I'm better than them. It's quiet because that's all of you, okay? <laughs> Trying to 
Oh, wow. Okay, Nate. But it's true. Even subconsciously, I think all of us, we compare ourselves to the people around us. And we judge whether or not we're good people by how bad they are. And all of a sudden, our standard for good isn't God, it's people. So it's like, man, I'm doing better than, than Jimmy. Jimmy's life is kind of a mess, but I'm doing really good over here. I must be a good person. See, the problem is you're someone else's standard for being a good person. Like they look at you and they go, oh, Nate, <laughs> he's not doing too good. I must be doing amazing. And, um, you know, the thing is God's already made up his mind whether or not we're good people. And unfortunately, we all fall short of the glory of God. You, just like me, no matter how hard we try, we can't earn our place in heaven. In fact, the Bible goes so far as to say your righteousness, you at your very best, is but rags to the Lord. Like you, even if you tried and you did it all right, you couldn't make your way to heaven. Only God could do that. But so many of us, we go through life trying to earn God's love, earn his validation, earn our spot in heaven. When God's saying, it's free. I've already died so that you could live a life that you can never live on your own. Stop trying to pointlessly earn your way to heaven. Here's grace. Now, what's grace? Grace is undeserved. It's, um, it's unmerited. It, it's not something that we can create for ourselves. Grace is a gift from God. Now, in Greek, that word grace, it's synonymous with favor. So what does it mean to have the grace of God on your life? It means to be God's favorite. That sounds like an oxymoron, right? Like, I can't have two favorite kids. I can have two kids I love so much. I equally love both of them. But favorite means one. One above the rest. When I ask someone, hey, what's your favorite restaurant? I have a few favorites. No, you don't. Favorite is just one. But what, what makes God so special is that he's not confined by our reality or our physics. You're his favorite. I'm his favorite. So that means the grace I can live by allows me to live a life that I can never have on my own. It's a miraculous life. It's a supernatural life. It's a life full of fulfillment and direction and purpose and excitement. And God pushes you out of your comfort zone and you land on two feet and you realize I'm living a life so much more grand than the life I used to live. Because you now walk in, in grace. In Ephesians it says it like this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of your works, so that no one may boast. In other words, God's saying, um, just so you know, your salvation, you had no role in it. That was all me. And I, th I think some of us, um, we try to go through our life trying to be the best versions of ourselves. You know what I'm talking about? Like I think probably before I got on here, I scrolled Instagram and there was like at least five posts of people trying to convince me, live your best life today. Be the best version of yourself. And I'm like, yeah, I want to be the best version of myself. But like the best version of you pales in comparison to the version of you that looks like Jesus. How about we stop trying to chase the best version of us and start trying to chase looking more and more like Jesus every day? Because the best version of you is still messed up, still has problems, still has anxiety. You still got bad breath. You need Jesus. 
You need Jesus. And I, I'm, I'm convinced that dying to pointless earning allows you to live a life. Please understand, Jesus isn't saying not to earn. He's just saying don't earn pointlessly. When you, when you try to make a way for yourself, you will get exhausted and tired and weary. And don't worry, Jesus has a solution for that. In fact, he says in Matthew, all you who are weary and tired, come to me. Give me your burden and I'll exchange it for mine. Give me what's heavy for you and I'll give you a burden that's easy and light. Now, isn't it interesting? We're like, oh, that sounds awesome, easy and light. But God still gives you a burden. Like he still gives you something so you have purpose, you have direction. We don't have to earn our way to heaven, but the life we live earns heaven on earth. Like what would happen if you walked into your workplace full of distraction and darkness and sickness and pain? All of a sudden you bring heaven into that place. Can I remind you, in heaven there's no sickness, there's no tears, there's no destruction, there's no crying, there's no mourning. We're asking God, I want to see the miraculous, but I'm going to live my, my old life. I've got to die to pointless earning so we can live in grace. Write down this next one, point number two, if you're taking notes. Are you guys still with me? Point number two, die to bitter hearts and live in forgiveness. I'm convinced bitterness is for dark chocolate, not for hearts. But like studies tell us that dark chocolate is good for your heart in moderation. So, um, okay, I'm, that, that flopped the first time I said it. I shouldn't have said it this time. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't think this is any surprise to anyone, right? Like you should die to bitterness. No one's like, ah, I want to be Bitter. And I want to live a life that no one wants to be around. And I want to be lonely forever. And I want, to, I want to live a life where everywhere I go, I find problems with it. I don't think any of us are like, want to do that. But we end up there. I think some of us in this room, we've been so bitter for so long. Just sitting here, you're seething. Like that last church. Sorry, the, the church before the last. So sorry. The church you went to five churches ago that hurt you you're still letting that hurt affect where you plant today? The problem is the church isn't the common denominator you are. Because that's what bitterness does. Bitterness will, will eat away at your life. It'll dim your life. It'll dull your experiences. Bitterness has, has a way of making music less beautiful. Food tastes not as good. The sun not shine is bright. Like someone's so bitter it's cloudy all May and June. I don't know. To LA. LA? It's because the Lakers lost. But if we let it, bitterness will, will, the Bible says, root itself in every area of our life. Let me give you three signs, just in case you're curious. Three signs that you might be bitter. Number one, you are quick to find fatal flaws in things you don't know the full story of. Like we live in a headline generation. You didn't even read the article. You just saw the headline and you texted your friend about it. Did you see so-and-so with who and what? That was fun to say. <laughs> but like you, might, you might be bitter if you've already predetermined the decision you're going to make about someone before you meet them. Number two, you hold grudges towards people for reasons you can't remember. I've done this. I, it's been like years down the line, and I'm like, 
no, nah, I, I don't talk to them. Why not? Because we, we don't talk. <laughs> it's like I held a grudge towards this person. At some point, it meant something to me. I forgot, and yet I still let bitterness take root. It's like what bridges, what places does God have for us that we keep ourselves from because we burn the bridge on our side? One of the cool thing about uh, the relationship is that you're responsible for your side of the bridge. They can burn their half, but as long as you keep yours, there's still a chance for the relationship to be made right again. The last one, number three, you might be bitter if you're quick to leave and blame instead of stay and solve. I, I don't know about you, but in my life I've experienced people leave me, people abandon me, people I, I put my trust in and they let me down and I've held bitterness in my heart for months, years, and I've let it control the narrative in which I believe about people. And the scary thing is eventually... All of us, we project our earthly relationships onto our heavenly relationship. And so when you're bitter at heart, you don't just see people differently, you see God differently. All of a sudden, this person hurt you, but really God hurt you. And I, I grew up without, with, without a dad who was present. And so now I can say, my dad's present, God's not present. My, my dad's not present, sorry. We project our lives onto God. But we have to die to bitter hearts so we can live in forgiveness. And I'm not saying um, that they need forgiveness. I'm saying you need forgiveness. I'm not just saying receiving forgiveness, but you need to forgive. Here's the thing. They probably don't deserve being forgiven. What you're bitter about is probably justified. And probably the reasons why people haven't forgiven you is because you've done something that justifiably shouldn't be forgiven. By the way, that's why we need Jesus. Because he forgives us every time we, die, we deny God. Every time we reject him. Every time we choose our way over his way. He says, here's forgiveness. Here's mercy. Here's grace. Here's forgiveness. Here's mercy. Here's grace. This is what it says in Philippians. I love this. Sorry, not in Philippians, in Hebrews. In Matthew, it's, it's in the Bible. <laughs> ChatGPT wrote my message. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Matthew 18. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Jesus isn't like some mathematician trying to give you the right formula for forgiveness. The number seven, it signifies completion, maturity, wholeness. Jesus is saying here, you are to forgive until the relationship is whole again. But like, what if they ate my leftovers? Forgive them. What if they forgot their wallet again? Forgive them. What if they cheated on you? Forgive them. They betrayed your trust. Forgive them. 
They promised you something and fell through. Forgive them. They abandoned you. Forgive them. They abused you. Forgive them. Because it's not for them. We don't live for forgiveness for them. We live for forgiveness for us. Because that, that bitter root, it'll, it'll eat away your soul. The Bible says it will defile you. But forgiveness is like that ultimate, that it's like a weed killer that goes into your soul. It enters into your heart. It lifts up every bitter root from its base. It allows you to live the life. Forgiveness allows you to live life at the fullest. Want to know the number one thing keeping you from God's blessing? It's disunity. And bitterness is the wedge between you and God's people. You and your spouse, you and your boyfriend and your, or your girlfriend, you and your brother or your sister, you and your best friend, you and your coworkers. Bitterness is that wedge that separates people. And forgiveness comes in and it pulls the wedge out. And it allows you to live the greatest life that you can live. Because blessing comes from God uses relationships to give you blessing. So if you're wondering, God, where's the blessing on my life? Ask yourself, who haven't I forgiven? Have I forgiven myself? I think it's probably worth the due diligence for us to go back into, reflect in our lives and see, God, who who am I still holding on the edge? God, who am I still holding ransom for a hurt I forgot about a long time ago? You allow God to do something in your life and all of a sudden you can live a life today. Last one, point number three. Write this down. Die to your past and live today. Come on, you want to live this life? It doesn't start tomorrow. I know, I know your diet does. Maybe Tuesday, Memorial Day, but life starts today. But you got to die to your past. You got to let your past go. You got to let that thing fade away. Today, God has something for you. Today, God has love. Today, God has mercy. Today, God has grace. Today, God has vision. Today, God has direction. Today. It's like some of you are like, my glory days. There are, if, if only I could go back to my glory days. I don't care how far you threw the pigskin. Those aren't your glory days. In fact, the best is yet to come for you. I don't care how long you are, how journeyed you are on this thing called life, God still has more. The Bible says we go from glory to glory, strength to strength. So that glory days pale in comparison to the glory days that are ahead of us. Can I encourage you, your past, they're not, it's not your glory days. Your past is not your condemnation. It doesn't matter how good you were or how bad you were in your past. Your past is dead and gone. You might as well let it die. I think it's so good. All throughout scripture, we see a theme. People using, or God using people's pasts. God seeing their past and not disqualifying them. Moses was 80 when he led God's people out of slavery. David was a murderer and a rapist. Gideon was a coward. Jonah was disobedient. Samson was rebellious. Rahab was a prostitute. Samuel was given up by his mother. And Hezekiah was a horrible father. Elijah ran from his problems. Saul put Christians to death. Peter chose violence. And Thomas doubted, yet they were not disqualified from their place with God. Like, I wonder... 
What have you done that you thought was disqualification? Look, we serve a God that's so big, he's everywhere all the time at the same time. Everywhere, all the time at the same time. There's only enough room in our past for one person, and that's God. You know what's so cool? We live life today, and we trust God today, and we live in faith today, and we step out in risk today, and we get out of our past, all of a sudden we realize that God is in our past, reforming, reworking, reminding, refixing, refreshing. Come on, all of a sudden what was traumatic to you becomes the the weapon for you to live your life today. Your pain and your past becomes the platform you live on today. All of a sudden the thing that hurt you is now the thing that boosts you. Now all of a sudden because God is in your past, God is doing a good work, you can live, you can live in today. There's, There's not enough room for the both of you. Let your past die so you can live so you can live today. I'll finish with this last scripture. In Philippians it says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. In other words, Paul's saying, look, this life, this faith, this this walk, it's a prize. It's a goal. It's something to be desired. Come on, why don't you stand to your feet? He says, one thing I do is forgetting the past, I press forward to what God has ahead of me. I love what Jesus says to Martha. You remember what he says? She says, if you would have been here, Jesus, he would have been saved. He would have been cured from his sickness. And what was Jesus' response? He says, I am the resurrection and the life. See, I think the problem is most of us, we look at it and we're okay with just the resurrection and not the life. Jesus calls Lazarus up out of the tomb. He says to the dead man, Lazarus, come out. And the Bible says that Lazarus stands to his feet and he begins to walk to the front of the tomb. But his hands and his feet and his face are wrapped in grave cloths. What's the next thing that Jesus says? He says, take the grave cloths off this man because you can't be alive but walking around like a dead person if you want to live the life that God has for you. You got to take off the grave cloths. You got to die to your past. You got to die to your old ways. Jesus has a plan. He's got a purpose. Come on, you want to live a life. I can't convince you. I cannot convince you to lay down your old way. I I can't persuade you. I I can only prove to you by the life that I live that if you lay down your life to take up a life worth dying for, all the things that are, all the things that are your heart's desire, the things that will truly fulfill you, satisfy you, the things you've been chasing the world for, all of a sudden you'll look back at your life and realize in Christ, he gives me all of my satisfaction, all of my fulfillment, all of my joy, all of my kindness, all of my love, all of my patience. It's because the world can give it to you for a taste. God can satisfy your life, amen every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're here this morning or this afternoon and 
you're realizing, like I, I've said yes to Jesus, I've been coming to church, but I haven't died to my old life. I haven't let my old life pass away. I haven't chosen to live in the life that God has for me now. But right now, you want to make a decision to say, right now, in this moment, I want to let my past die. I want to live for today. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Come on, people raising their hand, responding, saying, today is the day I choose. I'm going to commit to it. I don't want to live by my old life. I want to live the life that God has for me. Father, I thank you for every person that's raising their hand, lifting their hand right now. God, I pray that even in faith as they lift their hand, God, would you encourage them? Would you give them boldness? Would you give them strength? God, I ask that even now, Lord, even in their darkest moments, would you allow them to live a life that's for you, to honor you, to worship you? In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, why don't we put our hands together for everyone who made that decision?